Welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, and yet again, are two academics from real, tangible institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. Today, we're talking about the discovery of 1st millennium BCE stone human figures on the island of Sardinia from the so-called neurogic culture. Apparently depicting boxers, these slightly oversized sculptures were buried lying down in a cemetery with humans who were, rather oddly, buried sitting up. This leads to a series of important questions like, Could these sculptures just be a tribute to some really tall ancient Sardinians, say a championship basketball team? But why do so many ancient cultures make big things out of rocks? What do giant stone monuments mean to the makers, and what do they mean to us? Are all hinges created equal? Okay, so I have have a lightning round. Um, I think in the past, we already did... um, favorite sculptor so i'm gonna go with and and our listener can inform us because our records really don't go back that far um our, our i'm gonna go with um favorite giant man-made structure <laughs> that's that's good i think we might have gone with favorite artists not favorite sculptor. Oh, that could be that yeah. could be do you um, want to do a favorite sculptor instead we that's, could take our pick. That's probably too high culture for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but we're going to talk about some of these guys. Are we? <laughs> we could. <laughs> All right, take your pick. Take your pick. All right, now I'm still thinking. And, you know, these lightning rounds aren't actually lightning. We're not exactly lightning fast when we do this. That's no. not my fault. True. <laughs> <laughs> Largest... <clears throat> Human-made structure. Favorite, favorite. Favorite human-made structure. Can it be a building? Sure. Okay. Um, actually, that doesn't help. <coughs> um, I mean, I will go with I will go with um, the Statue of Liberty, largely Ooh, because she's good. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because uh, you know, I've seen her in person, which is not the case with most monumental sculpture that I've studied. So. And she is quite monumental. She is. Right. <laughs> That's what all the guys say about her. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been as far as the crown, but I've never been in the arm. Yeah. I don't think you can go in the arm anymore. No. Uh, no. no. That's funny because uh, last week when um, the great character actor Fred Ward died, I, I rewatched Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins which is a wonderful movie in which Fred Ward starred and um, a, a key scene takes place at the, in the Statue of Liberty uh, on the Statue of Liberty when it was being renovated and covered with scaffolding. 
and there's all sorts of actiony jumping around. Mm. So it's a great movie. Um, okay. I mean, yeah. I can't really think of anything other than all of the you know well-known favorites like the Great Pyramids, which are mm. really great. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, they, they don't call them the, the okay pyramids right exactly <laughs> even though they are okay right um, the statue of liberty is great um yeah. the coliseum yeah is you know it's it's fantastic it's, it's a fossil I, I i have mixed feelings about the coliseum what with all the slaughter that went on there well so, listen you know i mean that Memories wasn't are, the question. It wasn't I was the nicest. Say why, you know, why that? I mean, you can raise that about almost anything that humans have created. It's true. Um, let's see. But nobody, nobody picks the uh, the Panama Canal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, nope, the, no one the, does. The well, intercoastal think, waterway. All no the pictures does. I've seen of the Hoover Dam have been very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been. I've always wanted to go. Right. But those are, you know, such environmental nightmares that. Right. Um, uh, Again, the question wasn't niceness and environmentalism. <laughs> exactly. That's right. 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 Just plain favoritism. Well, I like the I like the Golden Gate Bridge. Hmm. And I, I have to say that I loved the World Trade Center hmm. because okay. it was because it was so distinctive and you know, it wasn't a, wasn't a great looking pair of buildings. It, uh, it had all sorts of impacts, you know, especially negative connotations at the end, but it really set off the, the skyline and became a fixture but of the honestly, modernist New York of 19, the 1960s onward. Right. But initially, and for at least, I don't know, for quite a while, 20, 25 years they were chastised in, as an abomination to the skyline right, right. Yeah. so i mean and you know my connotation of the trade tower uh, trade center is negative because it was it really was not uh part of the classic new york skyline and and it and it stood out not in a good way right it's a really but, what, but what's classic well, well, it became classic over time, and now it's revered. Right. It's right. as an architectural, you know, as an as an art stylistically, it was not um, embraced. Compared to the Chrysler Building, which was exactly I think, embraced. Right. Everybody loved the Chrysler right. Building. Yeah. And then you right. get the 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 what you call it? Um, you know, the other tall one. Um, <laughs> the, Empire <laughs> the Empire State, State Building. building. Yeah, yeah exactly. The Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building, right? And. Um, but are you are you embracing um, the the sort of neoclassical styles of these things? Yeah, um, as opposed to to modernist styles. Yeah, like all those really skinny things that have gone up in New York City in the last few years. Yeah, well, those are an abomination. Right. Oh, well, yeah, but I'm sure in twenty or thirty years those will be cherished. Right. Exactly. And so, and these, these are actually great examples because because the symbolism of you know the World Trade Center, what it stands for, the World Trade Center, and then the fact that it's no longer there, and you know what how people's feelings about these monuments changing over time. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Right. And they're and they're they're often inaccessible to us, at least emotionally. 
that why, why did people love um, the flat iron building so much? Or did they think that it was such an abomination when it was constructed and whenever it was, you know, well, I'm sure you could find, I'm sure you could find that. You could out. find that but, out. But I think that it was embraced and loved well after its construction is because it was such a distinctive shape that you simply didn't find a lot of examples of. So it stood out as a, as an outlier and it had lots and lots of classic architectural features that were already sort of well-established in the canon. And so it was beloved yeah. for that. What yeah. about Mount Rushmore as the only oh. Oh. real North American Monumental. homage to giant heads? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all very Egyptian, the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, well, I, I, I like it. <laughs> all for it. I'm all for it. I think it's pretty snappy. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. It, it's it's iconic. quite impressive. Um, on, on the other hand, where's that one way down south of Robert E. Lee riding? There's like another mountain in the south somewhere. I thought, I thought you as a ersatz southerner. No, you, I don't think either of those terms can be applied to me, <laughs> <laughs> at least together. Right. Well, ersatz. Yeah. But... Right, but alone. <laughs> there was something that was, I don't know what you're thinking of, but there was something major in the South that was removed. Not, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff. Well, in... there's been a lot of stuff that's been removed. Yeah. But but there was something specific. I'm just holding, I'm just biting my tongue this whole time. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this, this brings us to another point, which is the, you know, uh, monuments kind of come and go, even the big ones, um, or have been purposefully destroyed, not just in modern times, in ancient times, um, possibly even the ones that we're talking about, what, which we haven't started talking about. <laughs> right. We're getting so far <laughs> off the track that we haven't even introduced the, we're still the, on top. the lightning round, which at this point has, has turned into a, a laser show. Right. And we're we're on the third repetition of Carn Evil Nine by Emerson Lake and Palmer. Would but, one of you actually introduce the topic, please? Yes, the discovery of of uh, these totally funky monumental sculptures um on the island of Sardinia which is a department of France, in case nobody knew, um, from the early first millennium BCE, um, belonging to the neurogic culture, which um, depict apparently boxers or some other oversized competitive athletes, and they're like seven feet tall, and they're found buried in a cemetery. Um, <clears throat> and it's part of a, a larger tradition on the island of Sardinia to make um, or oversized things out of stone. Monuments, if you will. <laughs> and <clears throat> a characteristic, pr particularly of this, uh, of this culture, but also lots of other early-ish cultures, and that's not a pejorative, um, to make um, monuments out of stone, uh, human monuments out of stone. Right. as part of their larger monumental ensemble. Is that a good summary? That, that is a good summary. And I'll add that um, a bunch of these have been found in the past, but the reason they're in the news today is because two new ones um, have recently been, been found. Right. The boxers are bare-chested and thick-set, according to the description. And right. 
Right. And isn't there a Simon and Garfunkel song, The Boxer? Yeah. But I don't think the word thick set <laughs> appears in the lyrics. <laughs> well, maybe it should. Maybe it should. And the new ones apparently haven't been fully excavated yet because again, because of sediment. That was a very right. strange thing in all of these all of these articles. They haven't right. been fully excavated yet because of because they're still in in sediments. It's like yes, uh, they haven't clearly they haven't been fully excavated yet. Right. You know, but wait. No, they're 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 covered in bubble wrap. That's why we can't get them out. You know, we don't have the receipts. So. So there's a couple directions we can go with this. Um, one is just the, you know, the, the, uh, the natural attraction that the modern world has for monumental, you know, humans. So, you know, we should definitely go that direction, but what are the other right. directions? Well, we don't want to, we don't want to show off with our expertise on, on the neurogic culture <laughs> of the Western Mediterranean, because that would be a little too. I don't think we, I don't think we can. That, no, no, it would be a little too. I don't too think that option's available. It would be, <laughs> be a little too showy, podcast. a little too revealing perhaps. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I, you know, there's, you know, they're the huge, the huge heads from Rapa Nui from Easter Island. They're the huge sculptures from uh, Egypt. Uh, there's lots and lots of monumental sculpture, not quite this monumental, but, you know, obviously, um, throughout Italian history and there's a real strong attraction to this kind of, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Is it a human constant to, first of all, make big things out of rocks? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> first you start out by first, first covering law of of humanity <laughs> that's right <laughs> things out of rocks <laughs> right well because yeah. they're heavy i guess well, well, yeah i mean slow down shows off your... it's 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 shows <clears throat> off what sorry i don't know i was going to go into a whole evolutionary argument about you know first you pile rocks um to show how vigorous and you know robust you are and then you carve things out of rocks to show how powerful you are, both, yeah. you know, directly and indirectly. That's where I was going too. That that's that- a covering law. It's two covering laws. <laughs> those are those are two more covering laws than have been <laughs> ever discerned in in forty years of processual archaeology. <laughs> right. It's it's kind of a big deal to be able to take this this hard element that's all around you and and make it malleable make it into the shape that you want it to be and do it on such a huge scale i mean could either of you carve a human head out of a giant piece of rock rachel don't ask questions that you know the answer to (laughs) (laughs) well i I will go on record saying i could not (laughs) yeah but that's an interesting point about taking something that's um hard and seemingly immutable Right. And turn and making it malleable, and that's part of the symbolism. It's like, oh, you know, we the the people who did this took something, and well, did something with it. But you know, they they <laughs> they, they went against the the prevailing nature of the the thing, yeah, and they manipulated it with their power, right. So that's actually kind of that's kind of cool. That's, that could be a covering law. Okay. Uh, yeah, but you're, you're making a lot of assumptions. <laughs> this is this is this is a archaeology. B. It's a podcast. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> In other words, you have to say something. I mean, 
you know, they could have been just satisfying their own creative needs. Right. Why do we, why do people make giant things out of rocks, especially sculpture? Well, now we're, now we're getting, now we're getting there. 20, 20. But you know what? We should give this a little bit more context. Um, a little you... bit more. How about any? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> context. Um, cause, so first of all, there are the, the um, giant, neurologic monuments then i get i'm afraid to yes thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> the neuragis which um after which i guess the the whole culture has been named so so they're in the vicinity and general time frame of of these and also well, but there's thousands of these neuragi there's over six thousand of them dotting right. the island of sardinia right and there are a lot on this little what is it? This the the Sinus Peninsula? Yes, the Sinus Peninsula. <laughs> I think. I think. Uh, <laughs> um, so there are a lot there, but these Naragi are all over, right? And um, they represent. You know, that's a. There's another kind of um, element to all of this, and that is the the human need, desire to build stone towers. <laughs> right. Right. Which or may or may not be. Break, but, they so may or may not so, be fortresses, right? Yeah, the fortresses, oh. watchtowers, you know, is symbols or signs of, you know, small little tribal or family polities. polities. Um, but there are so many societies all over the world, like any almost anywhere you go, it's like, oh, yes, we have this, you know, mysterious tradition in the, you know, in the Bronze Age and the Neolithic and the this right. and the that of building stone towers. They're right. only three meters tall. They're only six meters tall. They're only one meter tall. <laughs> Wherever you go on planet Earth, there is at some point in time a tradition of building, you know, stone towers. That's true. Um, so to continue with the context, but I want to I don't want to leave off that thought because I think that's all related. Um, it's, it, these these statues, uh, sculptures are also related to a necropolis. Um, in this particular part um, of Sardinia at the Western coast, Monte Prama, I believe. And um, at least some of them were found in a jumble of fill over the tombs, which- Isn't that were, sediment you're talking about? Yes, it would be sediment. <laughs> that uh, were basically simple pit burials with the deceased sitting, uh, uh, sitting in a sitting position. Um, buried so, in a sitting or, or kneeling position. And which that's is interesting. Totally interesting. Yeah. That is totally interesting because we have this very set formulaic notion of burial in which people are always laid out flat, right? And there's right. lots of different traditions within that on their side and this and that, but always sort of, <clears throat> you know, in the, is it prone position? Prone position. Right. Um, right. And here we have a something completely uh, different than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being buried, kneeling or sitting. And, and right. I found that incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Right. right. But they're, I, maybe they're ready for action. Right. Yeah. To leave. And up. yeah, or maybe they're, you know, maybe they're seated, maybe they're positioned that way because they're, you know, they're looking into the, into the next life. They're looking back right. at their ancestors, but it is, mm -hmm. you're right. It is action. That's the key. Right. Thing. Think about yeah. all those, uh, all those, um, Chinese soldiers who the the right. terracotta army yeah. Yeah, right yeah. they don't even get to sit right but they're not they're oh. grave goods right they're they're the sculptures maybe these guys are grave goods the, no yeah, these are burials sculptures right but the but the actual bodies were the, the sitting the ones, bodies are yeah. sitting or kneeling yeah 
Well, is, but they're part of the whole, it's part of the whole concept that you got to get ready to go. Yeah. Right, right. No, I accept that. But it's different than the statues in the, um, right. In the, in Xi'an. So, right, right. So, so how are they? Um, <laughs> Alex is on that. I can already <laughs> tell you're a little. <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> I, th- I think I got us off on, on the wrong track by talking about the intercoastal waterway. <laughs> the I don't think I, I recovered from that. Is that if I were to be buried, and I don't want to be buried, but if I were to be buried, I would want to be buried seated or standing or you know anything but lying down. I would want to be in an action pose. Okay, that's interesting. That's I'd like to be buried, kind you. of lying back, but with my head propped up so I could you know look around. <laughs> I am not getting involved in this piece of the conversation. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, how would you want to be buried, Rachel? I think in a fetal position, if I really had to choose. <laughs> but I want, I want great. Curled, but curled up as a ball. Yeah. Yeah, you're um, a traditionalist. I am. No, I, I want to be buried. Yeah. I, yeah. I, actually standing up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of, instead of a long plot, actually, you could fit more people in a cemetery if you That's just. True. Had, That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't right. it in some place in Italy? Isn't that like a thing? I, I know I've read this at some point in my. Yeah. Life. Lots of crowded places. They're starting to bury people standing, standing up. Siloing. Yeah. Um, all right. So wait, let's just get back to this one. <laughs> it's like time. a cross town bus. Yeah. Newspaper folded for that anarch- anarchistic kind of thing. Anachronic. All right, I'm going to just pull us back in to give us the last little bit of context that, that I could get out of this, which All is right. that some of these statues or these statues um, have over the decades been grouped into three categories, some of which are, so the three categories are archers, boxers, or warriors. Um, no they, plumbers. No plumbers. <laughs> no bowlers. None. No. Yeah. Um, and and the, some of the categories are similar to each other um, in terms of like what they're why they're classified that way. Um, but I believe that the new ones we're talking about have been identified as boxers. Um, right. These thick set bare chested, we all have the same <laughs> descriptions. They hold shields over their heads and they seem to have combat gloves in their right hands. It's raining. Uh, I don't want to get wet. I'm wearing other. <laughs> It'll shrink. Right. Um, so turn your suede jacket inside out. No, just take it off. Roll it up. Right. Right. And they've been called fighter athletes. And yeah, I mean, of, the, all of these names, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah fighter athlete, you know. And, and I do want to say in terms of description, what I said to you two before we started, which is they have these concentric eyes and the closest modern analogy, which jumped out at me right away was uh, C-3PO. They look uh, very much, their faces look much like C-3PO. So, Identical. Yeah. yeah, they're all, and I believe that um, that early 20th century artists like Modigliani um, and Brancusi use these guys as inspiration for as they did other kinds of uh, Mediterranean art for their yeah. own sculpture. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But they couldn't, these things weren't found until 1974. Right. The, that's true. The guys with the eyes. Yeah. You're th- maybe, well, maybe those neurotic bronzes you're thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The yeah, bronzes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which but are not apparently the, similar. Not the statues. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and I was, before, before I came up with C-3PO, I was also thinking about Mesopotamian 
well, parallels is the similarities, like tell Brock eye idols, you know, those little things right. with the giant eyes. And then that, that, um, that uh, tell Asmar, you know, the statue group with the Abu, the giant one. Long eyes. Right, right. Um, and the big eyes. So eyes are something we should probably talk about in terms of symbolism, but. Windows maybe. into the soul. Eyes are, eyes are for seeing in inward and outwardly. Well, why are they round? I think that about covers it. <laughs> you can look out, you can look in. <laughs> now we can go on and talk about breath or something. <laughs> Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Um, yes. I, I myself yet again. Um, yeah, but it's costly. Yeah. <laughs> you have to hire you have to hire a bunch of guys to make these things. Well, that's hold it. You know, we <laughs> that's just a you know, it's not that costly if that's what the whole society wants to do. I mean that's true. it's not that costly to it's might be time consuming, but for tedious. A, well, and it's certainly tedious, but for an agrarian society in their downtime to decide right now there's about there's two different numbers that are given for the overall number of monumental statues, roughly 26 and 44. So okay. even if we say 44, these things are, the date of these things have been estimated somewhere between the 11th century and 8th century. Right. But those estimates seem to be not well articulated, like it could be earlier and it, they could have lasted longer. So you make one a century. Exactly. Two That's the point. Right. So there have been all these studies, right? So initially there were all these kinds of assumptions made on the most famous heads, uh, I think, within sort of in you know the ancient world. And those are the, the huge heads from Rapa Nui, Easter Island. And there were all sorts of assumptions made. Oh, it took so much time and so much wealth and so much. Yeah, but there are like 2,000 of those. Or right. But then, but then they estimated these things were made for such a, over such a long period of time that, you know, they were making like a thousand. Money. It's like a thousand years. Yeah. They were making, was. you know, a couple a year. Right. And, right. And, it, and it isn't such a huge imposition of time and energy. Um, you know, it's a group effort and whatever. It doesn't take as much effort. It brings people closer. And it, right. It's all that kind of stuff. And, and it brings up another question, especially if they're associated with this necropolis, which is who gets one and who doesn't, you know, were, were these elites, were these for particular people? Um, and then another question, just to jump ahead, is the reason you can't have an exact figure for how many of them there were is because a lot of them are fragmentary and apparently they've been, they were destroyed intentionally. So Intentional destruction. Right. So that brings up a whole other set of issues that we can discuss. Okay. You want to dive into that issue of, of the end of the whole sequence and their destruction? Um, Sure. <laughs> um, well, what do you think, Dr. Halate? <laughs> um, I, you know, it, obviously, obviously, it brings me back to to the biblical world and the destruction in the time of Hezekiah of of you know ah. things that were non Yahwistic and. Uh, ah. um, so there was an aniconic revolution, right? An but that was all centralization of the cult and centralization. That was all for centralization of the cult and right. state. Right, that's true. I don't think that's right, but it 
but but there but but there's a religious change going on of some right. form and i think that's what jumps to mind with with destruction of what are obviously symbolic figures we don't know what the symbolism is exactly but somebody who does not believe in that symbolism is coming along and and getting rid of the the symbols well there's sort of in the and there isn't a lot written on all of this. It's mainly a, a spate of recent articles because of uh, sort of popular articles because of the um, discovery of these two new heads. Yeah. Um, but there are sort of, I guess, two ideas. And one is, is that they were destroyed by subsequent Phoenician colonists. Okay. Carthaginians. Carthaginians. Right. right. Uh, and the other is that they were part of an internal, you know, kind of a collapse and so they were destroyed by from within the society itself in some right. kind of you know symbolic or political um upheaval right right and we you know we've seen this we've seen this because <laughs> there's also the destruction of you know statues of Hatshepsut and stuff like this in Egypt so we we see you know changes of power and destruction of statues right. everywhere right. in and the modern in world yeah. Well, in the Byzantine world, in the modern world, sure. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> rarely, rarely have a, have we been so stunned by by our own <laughs> by our own concision and, and perspicacity. <laughs> well, uh, I just like this idea of the again as a kind of human constant of monumentalizing. Or, or, or cre recreating the world in monumental stone sculpture that as soon as you acquire a certain level, <laughs> well, I have, I have the phrase rearranging the world in stone. Uh, you oh, were just waiting to get that. I, you know how I like the being the phrase maker. Yeah. You are the phrase maker. Well, so in other words, Lego is the new stone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as soon as you can do it, as soon as you can start piling stones, you do, and that goes back to okay. the Epipaleolithic and the and the uh, and the Neolithic, and they're carving they're carving the hell out of stones in the in the Neolithic in some places, in other places they're just piling stones at that point. Right. So, <laughs> is there some kind of huge systemic shift from cave painting to piling and carving stones? Is that a big global semiotic moment when, when the most artistic impulses of human emotion are being arranged in three-dimensionally in stone as opposed to two-dimensionally or two-dimensionally on, um, on walls? Yeah, it's it's they're ready to go the big times. It's street art. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm serious, right? And it's yeah, For conceptually, I think years everything, all human emotion is being that that we understand and can see is being expressed in a very specific way. Cave painting, and it's right, and in little and little carved tchotchkes. and little carved chachas, yeah. but yeah. little yeah. little heads and little animals and, and little animals, like and, yeah, and uh, right, and then. And then there's some kind of huge systemic shift. We're out of the caves. We don't even want to, you know, keep cave art and cave life in some kind of rarefied religious cultural zone. We're out. And now we're building up. 
we're going up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, <laughs> well that's, al- al- although in the in the Neolithic in the Near East, there is um, there are wall painting traditions, are which, wall, right. which aren't so well understood. Um, but it doesn't seem to be quite as the, the focus of cultural energy that uh, that stone related <laughs> stone related art is. Which well, is also not understood. First, when, when do we get our first monumental, um, either reaching to the sky buildings or monumental sculptures? I mean, this is a Bronze Age thing. Go, I think. go back, we tap a. Okay, there you go. We've already done that. It's purely Neolithic. Right. Episode 12. No, you know, I'm thinking of ziggurats. I'm thinking of the Great Pyramid. I'm thinking of obelisks. You know, these are things that are, and and the Tower of Babel story in the Bible, right? These are things that are reaching specifically towards the gods, towards the realms of the heavens. Well, in in architectural terms. Yeah, in architectural terms. So I want to know if that's part of it. And then I'm also thinking of... um, (laughs) <laughs> just just to be all over the place, the um, statue, the, the monumental now lost statue of Athena in the Parthenon, which was given new clothes. Well, that's jumping around a little bit. No kidding. Oh, that's something we never do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I insist on a strict linear progression. Uh, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that... that that that's a that's a good point, and and you know, complementing all of this from certainly the 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 Neolithic, if not the Epipaleolithic onward, is is simply is the the tradition of simply um, erecting standing stones. You take right. a big a big rectangular stone and you stand it up, and right. that com- that commemorates an event or it represents a deity. And you call and, it a maseba, and you write the Bible. Right, or a menhir. Um, or uh, and then you stack them up and you make a dolmen, or oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. or you make a henge out of ah, stone. Yes, you do. <laughs> None of us came up with that with our monumental things. No, I have that. Alex just here. came up with that. Don't deny me credit for, wow. for the, Boy, the few insights that I have. <laughs> you weren't canceled. You were evaporated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A hinge of stone. I have it written right right here. (laughs) I'm glad. Okay. But I think there's a big difference between, um, I I honestly, I think there's- Hinge making and representation making. Exactly. Mm, mm, Okay. And especially because hinge making seems to have some kind of relationship to, you know, astronomical calculations and time and blah, blah, blah. It may or may not. And, you know, if nothing else, I think all of us have learned that the henge we have today was in all likelihood not the henge that was ri- originally erected. Right. Um, but the monumental art is, a, is, is, I think, part of a kind of a different thing. And um, yeah. I guess none of us have brought up the idea that maybe there were actually seven foot giants <laughs> in <laughs> Sardinia. These are one to one representations. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because seven feet is, is not, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, the Colossus of Memnon. I mean, it's <laughs> not, it's not like, you know. Absolutely <laughs> out of the realm of possibility. A vanished race of well, Sardinian giants. Yeah. <laughs> Just a couple of tall guys. <laughs> right. The Sardinian national basketball team. Exactly, right. At, at so, 900 BCE. So it's like, oh, we've got another tall one. Like, let's build a monument to him or her, you know. Actually, these well, that, that's and something that, that has not yet been suggested that the selection was not based on elites or heroes, it was based on height. <laughs> right. And honestly, Right. And honestly, you know, could you dunk? Right. Right. I mean, you know, the things that, that scholars say 
are so kind of, you know, either obvious or, or banal. You know, they could be <laughs> warriors, they could be priests, they could be leaders, they could be ancestors. It's like, yes, of course, they could be all of that. But right. they could also just be really freakishly tall people <laughs> who everyone felt the need to commemorate. Right. And, and that, that, that's an interesting point, you know, the individualization of, of art and, and the ability of certainly the ability of ancient artists in two and three dimensional media to capture detail is so significant that we don't even have to belabor it. Right. Right. Um, the way we belabor everything else. Although, honestly, I don't think these things were that. I mean, I'm sorry with all. Oh, come on, no, no, no. I, I completely agree that they weren't that. I'm just saying that you <laughs> I know, know, they, know. I, I because my ground, my bedrock feeling about the past is yes. that if we were transported into the past, it would be so different than anything that has, has that yeah. we've ever thought. That all of our interpretations are so off base. Well, that A foreign country. I'm going to write that one down. Um, Um, (laughs) I represent the estate of David Lowenthal. Yeah. (laughs) Cease and desist order. (laughs) Um, No, but it's absolutely true. I don't think we know anything. And I don't think we could ever understand why these so-called boxers are holding their shields over their heads as if they're protecting themselves from the rain. Well, but the Um, idea of of whether they represent individual, real individuals or aspects of of real individuals or individual behavior collective yeah is is very is very interesting and the first thing that i i thought of when you said that um was the the representation of six toes right uh, on in neolithic art and later art in and you know here's something that is um unusual right yeah and I don't know whether they invented it, but they, they certain, it's certainly a constant that six toes represents some kind of deity or special category. Um, and you have it on, on representations of what seem to be deities or ancestors or whatever. Again, these categories are so arbitrary in a way, but it is a constant. So it suggests that it was a, there was a real observation. Right. That got encoded and maybe tallness and right. um, or height, as we like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> that's another word. That's another word that's coming into circulation. <laughs> um, or Am I having or a morning or what? Maybe there's <laughs> foundational myths that we're missing. You know, um, well, that's the thing. And we, we, you know, we analogize or extrapolate on the basis of later mythology. And in some societies, like specifically Egypt and Mesopotamia, in terms of early societies, we can read the labels. Right. right. <laughs> and that's right. what we're missing right. from the Indus. And I'm like, right. oh, I'm Ish- have- this is Ishtar. This is, you know, right. Ashur, whatever. Um, right. but you know what? Speaking of toes and fingers, what are future people going to think when they come see like Hanna Barbera cartoons and there are like four <laughs> fingers? And um, it's because of you know space constraints and making it you know. But but no one's going to know that they're going to they're going to think that art declined from the days of Altamira onward. Right. I think in the twentieth century there were people who only had four fingers. <laughs> right. The, you know, it's the Simpsons sort of right. uh, as the paradigm. Right. Um, okay. 
what one other uh, one thing I wanted to to raise um, is that we're talking a lot of our examples that we're talking about are from either um, non-literate societies like mm -hmm. Rapa Nui or societies that have lots and lots of um, textual components to that allow us to understand a little bit more about the monumental art. Um, but in both cases, they're significantly more ancient um, than these representations. So these pieces of monumental art date, let's say at the, to the earliest of the 11th century. And they don't seem to have any analogs, very, very loose connections at all to you know, mainland Greece or to Italy or to Corsica or any of these other places. Um, but they're very mysterious because they A, come from a non-literate society and that non-literate society doesn't, hasn't tied into the whole sort of Eastern Mediterranean or um, Near Eastern um, worlds that we know very well in which we have a lot of textual materials that yeah. we can draw on. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting because it suggests a great deal of insularity for these Naragi. Um, and, and again, we're sort of left making very, very broad, general, you know, not so insightful observations. Could be ancestors, could be priests, could be kings, you know. And, and so we're really, you know, we're really left with, with a problem. And sometimes when you find isolates, um, archaeological artifacts that have no connections anywhere else, you're in a cul-de-sac in an echo chamber and you can say anything about them. Yeah. Um, none yeah. of it is really all that meaningful because you just have no clue as to how it ties into, um, into the world around them. And without texts, you have no clue as to how to interpret them. And thus you get these kinds of, you know, very broad and ultimately okay but if we're so so what you're saying then is that um that there's the the, the traditions of monumental representational art that we see in greece from the bronze age onward from the second millennium onward of statues and and things um <clears throat> which then feeds in the into during the first millennium into a kind of hybrid near easternized um, central and eastern mediterranean tradition again of making representational sculpture mm -hmm. so these these sardinian examples are outside that uh, and uh, then i would I, uh, that's a that's a really good big question whether they're, so it's sort of that, it's sort of the question between processual or understanding the underpinnings of processual archeology span versus understanding the underpinnings of post-processual archeology. span Is there a innate um, part of humanity that in which we rep, in which we, you know, make monumental sculpture or is it all part of a interlinked tradition yeah. <clears throat> that once it's established, is emulated and imitated by all adjacent and joining right. societies. Because in the in the late Bronze Age, Sardinia was not an isolate, particularly. Mm, it's, it's but not, the connections it's, are 
Because yeah, it's, it's not I LinkedIn and a. Yeah, it's not LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, not, okay. okay. It's not like Cyprus. Not it's at not all. like okay. it's not like Crete. No, not no, it, not even remotely like those places. Right. Right. That's but it's true. but you know it, it. There is a there is a game afoot. <laughs> <laughs> Only because we have the term Shardanu. Uh, right. Or Shardan. right. If we See, didn't have if we didn't have if we didn't have the title Sherden, Sardinia wouldn't be in the mix. And I believe that, and I was waiting to stick this in, some of these sculptures, or maybe it's the bronze ones, have helmets with these two ah, horns. with horns. Right? And Just nobody like said that. Nobody mentioned that. And that, no, course, I know. If anybody wanted to mention, of course, we don't have any image. I didn't find any image of, of the helmets with horns. Did you? I did, somewhere. But it was, oh. they were kind of reconstructed horns, but I, I, oh. I bought it. There's um, some of the little the little standing sculptures. Yeah, um, and they've got some horns. In case in case there's a listener that's not aware, let's just point out that our um, groups of sea peoples who came to Egypt at the end of the late Bronze Age included a group of people called the Sherdan or Shardanu, and uh, they had these horned helmets. So um, there's our connection. Right. But that's so 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 that actually is a connection, but it's a sort of a later like the Egyptians had been making monumental sculptures for ages by the time we get. Right, to but it, but the connection with the Shardanu is problematic. Did they come from Sardinia and are they sea peoples or are they resettled sea peoples in into yeah. Sardinia? Right, right. Right. So that's always a, you know. I, right. It, it's people are always talking about that. That's right, true. That's always a real problem. It was people who got tired of building stuff out of stones so they got on their boats and sailed to the east where where the living was easy because and things be- were already built and they became mercenaries or pirates or or both or, or both i mean it's hard to tell the difference sometimes i was going to say what the hell is the difference between a pirate and a, and a i mean you know on any given day you can just wake the, up and decide just the terms of the contract or if you have a contract <laughs> right, right exactly right all comes down to the lawyers. Yeah. Okay. So we. So there. There is this clear, very late in the late Bronze Age connection between Sardinia and and Egypt, whichever direction they were going. But that, I don't think that actually solves. I mean, it's, that's the part that I find fun to think about. But I don't think it actually solves any of what we're talking about. No. Um, yeah. No. But if if the Carthaginians or the Phoenicians. Yeah, I was going to say Western Phoenicians can we, can we come stop along. Calling them Carthaginians if they're just. I mean, because it's not like they're Carthaginians who are then heading back east to. They're just sort of heading north. Right. Or they're heading west. Right. Right. They're central Mediterranean Canaanite Phoenicians. Right. Right. I thought you clarified. We can't can't say Phoenicians anymore. Didn't we get rid of that term the last time? We did. Yeah. Thanks to us. Yes. Thanks to ourselves. (laughs) That's another, another lawsuit in the making. But um, yeah, but that's an interesting case of of uh, a society interrupted by um, colonialism or or imperialism or whatever you want to call it. And oh, because I <laughs> um, and where its own artistic traditions and settlement traditions and possibly other things seem to come to a screeching sort of halt after whatever, 700, 600 thereabouts. <clears throat> and then the Mediterranean, then the Mediterranean gets more and more closely 
knit together along kind of orientalizing lines. You said as it, it as it's called. <laughs> Before you went with near easternizing. Well, yeah. you know, I I wanted to use the traditional term <laughs> for, okay. for our for our listener. And uh yeah, the orientalizing revolution where the the Mediterranean Mediterranean societies, particularly of Greece and and Italy, began to look to the Orient, so to speak, (laughs) and emulate its uh, artistic traditions, particularly in sculpture, and And, uh, also things like uh, writing, (laughs) which was good. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so as we as we kind of. I don't know, tie up our loose ends. <laughs> uh, should we should we delve into potential symbolism or should we do, or have we been doing that all along? Power. Huh? Power. Boxers. Power. Um, archers. Necropolis. Necropolis. Why are they associated here? What are we what are we portraying about our society? Dead archers and dead warriors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're on they're on the front line they're the ones who are going to get it right I didn't, I didn't read anything about any analysis of the skeletal material you know are they men are they women how old are they oh maybe we did see how old they are between like they were all adults i think like between 13 and 40 or something if you're going to hang out with a bunch of boxers you probably want to be an adult and uh yeah i think these are kind of traditional symbols of of power and authority Although, you know, who knows what kind of how power and authority were structured in the <laughs> neurogic culture. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're the guys who are piling up the stones to make the neurogies, and they're the guys who are telling you to pile up the stones. That's the very the good That's the guys who get the shields and get the, uh, get the combat gloves. I mean, you know, uh, these, some of these terms, you know, like they're wearing a, you know, a single combat glove. And it's like, yeah, I guess maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's the glove of power. Maybe it's the, you know, it's the steel fist in the velvet glove. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a gauntlet of some kind. Um, Right. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't, based on everything else that we know from neurogic society, it isn't overly complex. Yeah, it's not it's not overtly mythological. Let's put it that way. So 200, 300, certainly 300 years later in Greece, they're building stuff okay. out the wazoo and temples and they're making sculpture of that represent deities and they're making eventually they're creating, you know, fresco friezes of multiple individuals carving them. Um, and they're writing it all down. And right. they're writing it all down. Right. And it's so it's labeled. So we know who these guys <laughs> so are. Right. So we know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> right. Right. For a change. Um, yeah. I mean, if you think about the time frame, you know, if it, these are somewhere between the 11th and the 8th century. You know, again, the, the mythologies of Greece are well established by then. And, you know, even though they're not being written down till let's say Homer, but um, the mythologies are established. So, you know, we don't know the mythological context to these. There's a local tradition. We just don't know. I certainly don't know. Maybe people who study Sardinia more closely. We encourage people to write in with their knowledge of neurogic mythology (laughs) and Bronze Age um, Sardinian uh, lore. Writing makes a difference. That's what it comes down to. 
Yeah. Right. There's, you just can't get around it. That's true. Writing makes a difference. That's... Yep. And, <clears throat> and everyone loves monumentality. Yeah. Right. I mean, so when we started finding, you know, monumental sculpture at Tel Tainat, you know, it became a, it became pure gold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, the best thing was that not only did we have monumental sculpture, but some of that monumental sculpture had inscriptions on it. Right. So that that's made the perfect combination. That's, that's the perfect combination. Yeah. 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 Um, no, but there is something, I mean, we're sort of going full circle when I say this, but there's something about, you know, just you're a little person, you're somewhere between five and six feet tall, and you're standing in front of, in front of this gigantic thing. So you're impressed with the craftsmanship, the ability of somebody, other humans, just like you being able to make this big thing. And you're also impressed by whatever this thing represents because you believe in whatever it is. If I wanted to really impress somebody, I'd make something, you know, instead of two meters tall, I'd make it four meters tall. Okay, that's a very good point. Two meters isn't, you know what, again, it's sort of within the bounds of reality. You're absolutely right. Mm, That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's not unreal. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like, oh, that's the Sardinian national basketball team. (laughs) They were here last year touring with, uh, you know, and that's actually Lakers. kind of interesting why they didn't exaggerate it more. Yeah, that is interesting. If you're going to go to all of the time and energy of, and apparently they're, these things are made out of single blocks of limestone. Right. So they're probably being cut in the quarry at some degree and then a, a cut out of the quarry and transported. So if you're going to go into a quarry, a limestone quarry, and, you know, sort of start drawing up a big, you know, a big sculpture. Bigger, bigger, make it bigger. Yeah, why not make it really much bigger? Yeah. Well, they're probably technological constraints at a certain. Right. That's uh, maybe at five or six meters, but not the difference between two meters and three meters. Mm. Not that I know anything about this. <laughs> <laughs> not that I've made any sculpture larger than like eight centimeters out of a bar of soap. Well, that's that's the thing, though. Actually, no, I think you're onto something because out of a bar of soap, <laughs> because because. Um, you know, all the really things that we're thinking about are made of multiple blocks of stone, right? Um, like, you know, Egypt, I'm thinking of like Abu Simbel. That's multiple blocks. Of, that's big. Yeah, yeah, that's right. big and it's multiple blocks of but stone. Not, but not, uh, not Rapa Nui. Oh. Those are all single blocks and they, uh, they have the hats. They, they have the added top hats, right? Okay, right. right? Okay. And again, the eyes are staring. That's one thing. I mean, we did talk a little bit about the eyes. But, you know, you go and Rachel, you brought up, you know, sort of third millennium and um, yeah. Mesopotamian examples. But it's sort of that's sort of another almost global thing are these, you know, wide staring eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no one ever draws. No one ever portrays eyes as beady little. <laughs> you know, right. Or fluttery little, you know, coy Bugs Bunny eyes. Right. They're always big, staring, wide eyed. That's true. Well, maybe that's a hint as to the uh, the nature and intent of the sculpture. Now let's what? redo this whole talk through the through the eyes of Eric von Donegan. Oh. <laughs> that's true. Well, it's it's obviously a global constant. We've established that in the first hour okay. or so, and this just suggests that somebody was going around with a with a, a, a template, and they went to the Olmecs. And the Olmecs just opted for, you know, big squat ones. And they went to Rapa Nui and they got tall, skinny ones. And it's got to be aliens, I guess. 
obviously. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, some of, some of the, in some cultures you have, eyes, eyes are a good thing to inlay, right? So you need a certain amount of space, I would think technologically um, to make your inlay stand out. Or paint. Or paint. Um, but I don't think that really answers the question. I think that's just a technological side sidebar that I brought up. So I don't know. Well, but I, I think that the fundamental issue of you're going to relate to a sculpture that is, you know, a foot or two taller than you differently than you're going to relate to a sculpture that's five or 10 or 50 feet taller than you. It's going to tell you something different about your place, that's true. If, if nothing else, and about the nature of the, the world that you live in. And uh, let, let, let me sort of go a little off track with that in something that you two will know more about than me, but think of all these science fiction things where you've got, you know, like Doctor Who and, and Star Trek uh, aliens that, that are just slightly taller, like I'm thinking rock monsters and stone angels. And, you know, those things are, are um, taller than humans, but also. Well, that's also the prop department. And what they what they can manage with the budget that they're allocated for right. each episode. Right. But right. you know, there's right. something to that. Like Herman Munster was, right. you know, was in order to set him off, he, he needed to be larger, but not, you know, obscenely large. Right. So so I think there is something large. about that. Maybe maybe the idea of, you know, we're it's something attainable, but we're we're still smaller than, right. than it is. Well, maybe right. it's something that we're supposed to um strive for. Aspire. Um, you know, eat your Wheaties and you, you too can grow up and be on the basketball team right? or, you know, whatever these guys represented, as opposed to, you're never going to grow up and become a Lamassu. (laughs) (laughs) Though maybe they didn't know that. And maybe they thought, you know, like in Dune that at some point, you know, humanity would, would actually give birth to a Lamassu. (laughs) I suppose that's possible. Um, well, size in, I mean, in I, my analogies, analogies are always Egypt and Mesopotamia, where, you know, the deity is always just that much bigger than the human. And uh, right. But in Mesopotamia, the king is always bigger than everybody except right. the deity. And if right, you go exactly. to and you know, in Egypt, too, right. right. If you're going to go to somebody's palace in the in the Near East or in Egypt, you're going to have that your your place in the in the in the world immediately clubbed over your head because right you're small <laughs> and right. they but, the king and the god are big right but nobody would walk into no one who met ramses the third for the first time would say oh you're much smaller than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you look just like your picture <laughs> uh, you make a good point yeah, that might be our perfect final thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's my final thought, I can assure you. <laughs> I think there's much to ponder there. So, <laughs> Well, my final thought is, is this. Visit Sardinia. It's an extraordinary place and has great mm-hmm. food and wine and great archaeology and great beaches. And, and, and uh, it's just visit Sardinia. Okay. Okay. I will. I bought a case of Sardinian wine at the beginning of the pandemic, which I enjoyed very much. Sardinian wine is great. 
um, uh, it was it was called, robust, but I, I enjoyed it very much. I think it's um, actually called like Canaan or Canaan or something. Oh, like interesting. Huh. More um, than a coincidence. Sardines, <laughs> sardines come from Sardinia, or I mean, the term sardine right. comes from Sardinia. And they're and they're small. Right. <laughs> and they exist in this other kind of weirdly spatial relationship, a spatial relationship with each other and with, as a metaphor, oh, my, my mind's blown. <laughs> that's my, that's my final thought. Excellent. I don't have any final thoughts. <laughs> no, you've led us to this important place. So there, there he is. Yeah. All right. Okay. Shall I? Yes, please. <laughs> well, that was an episode that is both durable and slightly oversized. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, the artist formerly in residence at the Savannah Music Festival, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Slate Rock and Gravel Company, Bedrock's leading source for stone and stone products. To get in touch, leave us a comment. Or send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, it's all one word, at gmail.com. Or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.